0: In this episode, we analyze the first chapter of Dogen's magnum opus, Shobogenzo, which is called Bendo Wa, or A Talk on the Way. We give some context to Dogen's presentation of Zen, and in particular, rehearse some of his life story and his influences. We also consider the notion of lineage within Zen and the important idea of practice as awakening. I hope you enjoy the podcast. So we're looking at Bendo Wah, yeah. which is the first chapter in the 95-chapter edition of the Shobogenzo. Right. Um, so there are various different editions, and in some of them, Bendo Wah is not there. Uh, right. but, it, but in this one, uh, it is, and it surprises me that it isn't in other editions, because it seems a very, very seminal essay, actually, a very central one. Yeah. And I know there are quite a few commentaries around on uh, on Bendawa. And so we're looking at the translation by Gudo Wafu Nishijima and Chodo Cross, which is a translation published by the Buddhist... What was it BDK? What? I don't know. I can't remember what that stands for. Anyway, on mine it also says Numata Center of Buddhist Studies. And it's published in four fat volumes, isn't it? Um, The Shovel Gensman. Right. Um, And yeah, and as we've just said, this is the first chapter. uh, And you were just talking about the title.
1: Yeah, it's interesting not only that this is included in this, this edition or this collection, but not in others. But it's interesting that when it was included, they made it the very first essay so that if, if one were to read this edition of the Shogua Genzo, this is the first encounter one would have. And it is one that, that uh, lays out quite a, quite a, a lot of his, um, his vision of things.
0: Yeah, I think in some editions, uh, Genjo Kawan is the first uh, chapter. Not sure about that. In this edition, it's actually the third, um, which obviously is also considered one of the seminal essays. Another interesting thing about this chapter that we can mention just at the beginning is the fact that it's got like a section of question and answers, um, which is quite unusual for the essays, uh, the essays in Shobelgenza. So it's got like an exposition part, and then there's quite a long section of question and answers where, Mm -hmm. I don't know whether based on real questions or whether Simply, Dogen kind of structured a part of the exposition in terms of the kinds of questions that people would have, and then him answering those questions. Um, and it ends up being quite a long essay in the end, doesn't it? Um, yeah. One of the longer ones, it's um, about, um, I'm going to work out how many pages, yeah, it's about 17 pages or something, uh, which is quite, quite long. Mm. Uh, more than that, actually, it's about, uh, 19 pages mm. yeah and some some of them are just like four or five pages or right pages um, so what what were you saying about the title
1: oh i just just that um I, I like i i appreciate the the way that it was broken down where ben means to make an effort or per, pursue something and then "do." um he the this translator talk says that the translation of that is truth but of course it's really dharma and and um and and i i tend to prefer just to try just just to make dharma a a new word in english because it has so many meanings so that there
0: the the japanese rendering of dharma
1: yeah and it's all it's also interesting i mean it's it's the same character for dao you know i
0: was thinking well, that that's what i was thinking it meant uh, but then i realized that was dao and not do but but now yeah. you're saying they're actually the same character
1: right oh i'm sorry i'm sorry that, um it's not it's not dharma uh, the, the word for dharma is is the character for dharma is different and and the pronunciation of it is is um is ho or when it's when it's in um, when it's in uh, Following another another word, it's it's usually bow So, show bo. That that you yeah, know that's the dharma. That's the word for for dharma.
0: Okay. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That. Yeah. Forget that. It was it was I my mistake. Yeah. This is Dao. So the the a short talk on pursuing the Dao, which is another word <laughs> that I might just to just incorporate into English
0: yeah so he's translated it as the truth so that could also be translated as the way i guess the
1: way, yeah and and i think um i think this this character was actually used to translate um uh, marga in you know the sanskrit marga yeah yeah,
0: yeah. yeah yeah okay yeah um and uh wa is a talk or story according to this translation yeah. so, so this
1: this could be a talk on following the path
0: yeah be yeah. another rendering yeah they the translated it as a talk about pursuing the truth yeah mm. okay um yeah so um i mean did you have any particular initial responses to to having read the chapter was there anything in particular that stuck out for you as important interesting
1: well of one of the things that i that i found interesting was was that um, there's a kind of an, an autobiographical section at mm. the, the very beginning where, where Dogen tells his own story. And um, oh yeah,
0: right. That's um, there's some notes in square brackets, and that says fourteen. I don't know whether that's a page number or a section number um but that's that's where he begins after he has i established the will to pursue the dharma is what is what you right. mean right yeah. which is interesting that he writes that because he was already a monk at that time i guess um, right so he writes after i established the will to pursue the dharma i visited counselors in every quarter of the land i met myozen of Kenin, but he was already a monk at that time wasn't he, he was a, a a tendai monk right um, and presumably so what he's talking about is the the time in which a kind of I don't know if we'd say a doubt or a curiosity I, I guess about whether we were on the right track or not um, yeah. arisen for him. Yeah. Uh, and then, well as he he says, he started to seek out different people uh, to find out what they had to say. Yeah. Uh, Kenin, I think, is in Kyoto. I think I I went to that one. Hmm. Um, but. They're all, as you know, they're all really, really beautiful places with lovely gardens, but they kind of do look a bit like, they look a bit more like parks than temples to me, like sort of, you know, very nicely groomed parks. Um, anyway, that, that's well, that's the memory that I'm having of Keninji uh, going there, but I think there probably is a cloistered part where they've got some monks and they're, they're just a bit more separated off.
1: Yeah, and it could be that that's what they've become through the through the years as they've become more pilgrimage centers than than monasteries although they're still still functioning monasteries um but I I wonder in in um, this autobiographical sketch to what extent Dogen was aware or deliberately modeling his own autobiography as a kind of parallel to that of Shakyamuni, because you know, he, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, he also visited a number of teachers and and um, and, and eventually found them, um, found them wanting in, in various ways.
0: That's really interesting. And looking up Myozen as well, um, I'd forgotten this, but Myozen ended up accompanying Dogen to China. As well, right. so they they went to China together in 1223, um, and he died. Actually, died not long after. Um, Yeozen, he died in 1225. Yeah, young guy, at 41. Um, it would seem they got back by that time, but he he died shortly after, uh, and he was another another, as they all seem to have been another Tendai monk as well uh, at least initially
1: yeah and I, I, I've I seem to recall that I've read that there's some doubt as to whether um, Dogen really knew or you know studied with Asai. but okay. that yeah right he certainly had a, a connection with Asai through Miozen, yeah who, who was who was a kind of uh, yeah, he he was he's he's described here as the most excellent disciple of the founding master master Asai.
0: Um Yeah, well, other... that, that's interesting that doubt you you mention. Uh, well, so he mentions that Miozen uh, studied with Isai, mm-hmm. uh, or is it Isai? Um, and so Isai was um, sort of the was considered the founder of Rinzai Zen isn't he right uh, he also went to China um so presumably through Mio Zen this was Dogen's like first contact with a Zen type approach um because Mio Zen had learned that from Isai Sai. how, how do you say his name A uh, oh Isai. Isai thank you Isai, yeah. um, what you're saying is there's doubt whether Dogen had direct contact um, with him. D- Dogen was born around 1200, I think, wasn't he? Yes. Um, and Eisai died in 1215, so it seems pretty unlikely that they Right. Had right.
1: Yeah. So so Do- Dogen would 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 have to have been a a child. I mean, you know, an adolescent. Yeah, uh, yeah. If he had ever actually met Asai, and it do, it does seem unlikely, given given his, um, Dogan isn't, am I remembering correctly that Dogan became a monk at a very early like yes yeah five like years older. like
0: Shinran the same yeah like yeah. nine or ten or something yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Quite. He was essentially orphaned and then um, he'd been cared for by his uncle isn't that isn't that his story,
0: um. Uh yeah so i'm just checking so i was right about his birthday uh which is 1200 right um in the little information that i've found here it doesn't say when um yeah his his mother said to have died when he was seven right um uh it seems it's not exactly known when he when he went to uh mount Hiei, but he yeah what we're, we're thinking Probably even pre teenage, uh, right? Yeah, young guy, um, again, like Shinran, um, yeah, so he did go, go, and actually, I mean, even when he went to China in 1223, so we're still talking about a guy who's very young, like 23 years old, when he went to China, yeah, so he's had quite a sort of rapid. Trajectory like you know, becoming a Tendai monk, first of all, getting immersed in that, yeah. then clearly having doubts about it at a very early age as a teenager, I guess we're talking about, right? Presumably starts looking around for uh, you know, other teachers, um, uh, and, uh, and then and then meets Mio Zen, and then they hatch the idea of going to China. Pretty adventurous, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's interesting also that. He is a contemporary of, uh, as Shinran was of, of that's uh, right. Thomas Aquinas. Yeah, that's such right. a yeah. such a seminal figure in Catholicism. Um, yeah, Aquinas was born in twelve twenty five, so he's he was a generation younger than um, than Dogen.
0: Yeah, um, Aquinas was. Yeah. And Shinran was kind of almost a generation older, but Shinran, well, was born before and also outlived uh, Dogen because he lived till about 90 right? and died at, is it 53, around 53, I think it was.
1: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. and and so he was, yeah, and I just was looking up Aquinas. Aquinas died in 1274, but he... He was forty-nine or fifty years old when he died.
0: That's it. so. I think that's the year after Shinran died.
1: Hmm. hmm. Probably no causal connection, but you know.
0: probably not. No, you, you can't be sure. But yeah. So that's um, that's all really interesting. And uh, yeah, so he's talking about uh, eyesight, and then then he talks about going to China. Um,
1: right. And, and he
0: talks about the
1: transmission of the Dharma to China. So he has a particular narrative to tell about how all of uh, what the sutras say, you know, the, the, the great the great master. This is on page um, 15C. Um, what are these page numbers? I
0: have no idea. They, they must be to do with the, the Japanese um, text.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, the, these would be the page numbers of... Are they are they page, well, I guess they're pages. I was I was wondering whether these were uh, on scrolls or whether they were already in um, ink print. You yeah, know, the, uh, block. Print. I, think,
0: I think probably block print. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and and traditionally, page block print numbers are are given in terms of um, an A side and a B side. You know, but I don't know what C refers to.
0: That's the third side. Yeah. <laughs> right, the edges. <laughs> uh, well, I'm sure we'll we'll get to the bottom of that eventually.
1: Yeah, but in, in, in you know, he 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 begins by saying the sutras say that the great master Shakyamuni, uh, at the order on Vulture Peak, transmitted the Dharma to Mahakashyapa. So he he um, and and when we, when we were looking at um, John Meraldo. John Maraldo sort of talks about the history of of this particular story of of the uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mahakashi. But it's, it's a very it's certainly a um, an important story within zen
0: yeah and 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 uh, fairly clearly not historically accurate
1: right yeah. but it certainly it certainly is one of the, oh,
0: the zen- Myth, I guess we could say or, or, or maybe he would say legend morale yeah
1: yeah it's a very key legend um, because it seems to be the 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 whole basis of a kind of wordless transmission yeah. you know the Shakyamuni holds up a flower and kashiva gets it he smiles <laughs> and so there there we, there we have the whole beginning of this mind to mind transmission which is so important so much
0: interesting stuff from this this essay that i hadn't picked up on very closely yeah and you're right he's then uh, sort of describing this uh direct transmission this lineage isn't it from the right. disciple right uh, and presenting that as a sort of authentic image of zen if you like chan transmission right um, and you <coughs> also know that it's true uh, uh don't we uh we we know that these lineages were often created quite a long time afterwards and they were right. highly simplified as well um so often uh, a teacher might have had or the student might have had several teachers um but then over time i think it's partly about the construction of schools in constructing a school, there a kind of lineage model was created, where that lineage model became very linear with just one teacher disciple like that. And right, Elder goes into that as well, doesn't he? I also remember John McRae writing quite a bit about that.
1: Yeah, and 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 I have read maybe maybe even in, in in John McRae I don't know that the the um, the whole notion of of a lineage is Heavily influenced by the sort of Confucian notion, right. of, yeah, you know, yeah. father, father thanks. and son, yeah. Thanks. So that the the uh, you know family lineage, <clears throat> and so the uh, the transmission lineage becomes a kind of substitute for well, the you know it's the the sangha becomes your family, and and your in in fact in in uh, in Chinese, yeah. Um, a, the a common character a common word for uh, a master is uh fu, as i recall it's pronounced something like shurfu, which means um father teacher i mean it's it's the, t- the character for teacher the character for for father simultaneously so there is a very very much a feeling of familial um sentiment you know so important in in East Asian cultures, and um, so yeah, this in the fact the fact that they're in English called patriarchs. I mean, they're sort of like father to father to son, and then who passes yeah. it on to his son, and so forth. And then it finally reaches the venerable Bodhidharma. And Bodhidharma went to China. and transmitted the Dharma to the great master Eka this was the first transmission of the buddha dharma in the eastern lands and then it was transmitted one to one in this manner until it eventually arrived at zen master daikon
0: I, it's interesting that at, at least uh according to what dogen says there he seems to be saying if i'm not misunderstood that um that basically zen or what yeah, what he's calling Zen or Chan, was basically the first version of Buddhism that was transmitted to China. Right. Which is obviously, (laughs) well, (laughs) that is obviously not true, Uh, but uh, that's interesting that that's his narrative. Uh, Because he talks about, yeah, Bodhidharma transmitting the Dharma to Master Eka, who, I don't know who that is, we know who that is uh, no, the Iso Eka, the second patriarch in China, apparently. Um, yeah,
1: uh, yeah. I am more familiar with these names in Chinese, but I actually forget the name of the first patriarch,
0: yeah,
1: uh, in but, Chinese. But,
0: but there's been quite a bit of transmission already, had not there, of Mahayana scriptures and I think even of Theravada as well, um, right? Um, and so,
1: so he has, um he has Daikan is is mentioned here, Zen Master Daikan, and that that is um, there's a footnote there identifying that as Master Daikan Eno, which is uh, Huineng. Okay. Daikan hui Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the sixth patriarch in in China.
0: Right. Um so Daikan is Huineng. That's good yeah. to know.
1: Yeah and and I, I wonder how 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 much this is um um how how much of this notion of lineage was already well established i guess it well it was well established in china um and and so dogen is is probably um relating in japanese what the what the lineage was
0: right
1: according to what he was taught in china
0: yeah yeah
1: I mean, he he places quite a quite an emphasis on this. I mean, sort of, it's interesting. He tells his own story, then he tells the transmission of the Dharma to China. Yeah, it, it is
0: interesting, and given the context of him being a a, a Tendai monk as well, um, and so then he's kind of um, adopting, if you like, this um, lineage narrative. Let's call it that right. uh, of the the transmission of what what well, what he's calling or what he comes to call soto zen right. uh, from bodhidharma to various people in china hui neng and then he's kind of like at the bottom of that list i right. guess as the recipient right. of, the, of that tradition yeah it mentions some other patriarchs as well that i've never heard of um Yizhou and gyoshi and then it talks about these two streams and five lineages. Um, so I'm not really sure what they are. I guess the two streams presumably are what we have come to call Soto and Rinzai, would they be?
1: Yeah, yeah, Ejo is Nanue um, says. Okay, so we... he's
0: the guy who was polishing the tile.
1: Yeah. That? yeah. And then Yoshi Master Sagan Gyoshi is is um, Ching Yuan Xing Shi, Xing-shi. and I, I don't know, I don't know, I'm not familiar with that. Ching Yuan Xing Shi.
0: Uh, where are you finding those Chinese names?
1: Oh, in, in the footnotes.
0: So in my footnotes, the names are in Japanese. So I don't know why that is. Anyway. Uh,
1: so, oh, you know, it, it's yeah. yeah. I've I've taken notes on this, and i've I've made I've made footnotes. It could be that I looked these things up.
0: Um, myself well, being and, uh, very thorough, I'm sure you did.
1: Yeah, I may have looked them up because um, yeah, you know, I have the Chinese the Chinese characters for all of them. Not that that really helps me all that much.
0: Um, but just to check that the one that's named as Ejo of Nangaku, you're saying that's Wairang,
1: right? Yeah, Master Nangaku Ejo. Right. Okay. And and I have put this in. I'm sorry, I, it's now clear to me what I what I did. That I did this some time ago, but yeah, I I I had the, um, the footnotes uh, as they were given in the in the translation and then in square brackets after that I put the I put the Chinese names
0: yeah well that I mean that's it's helpful actually because um, uh, I think I know more of the Chinese names than I do the Japanese ones so yeah
1: yeah uh, I, c- I can send you this uh, send you these um, footnotes
0: and this thing about the two streams and five lineages so, the five lineages is, I think, what they refer to elsewhere as the five houses, isn't it? Um, and so they're mentioned here Hogen, Igyo, Soto, Unmon, and Rinzai. So, they must be the five houses. Um, so, I mean, I don't know anything about Hogen, Igyo, and Unmon, um, but we do know, some, well, so, so Soto is what uh what Dogen was inheriting uh, yeah. and Rinzai was what uh sai had been teaching right um he then says in China today Rinzai alone holds sway throughout the country that's interesting
1: yeah yeah so so that the uh yeah, the 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 lineage that was based on um, linji seems to have prevailed up to up to his time and then um well i guess Dogen is actually credited with being the transmitter of the uh Dongshan oh. dong shan lineage Dong shan is dong is 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 the the toe of soto
0: oh okay
1: so there are there are two two uh, japanese or two two chinese masters um, where they sung, sung and, and um, dong have <laughs> become soto in, in Japanese. So, Dogen is is usually credited with having been the transmitter of that particular lineage and Asai is the transmitter of the lineage and uh, Linji. I've, I, I, I think I may, I, you know, if in um, some of the histories of Zen, you 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 have these family trees, that kind of show the relationships of all these, all these teachers, and oh. so these schools sort of split off from one another fairly early on, and um, not you know not not too long after on uh,
0: Yeah, and I find all of this sort of this thing about the genealogy of Zen and the different Zen schools and even what the differences are, I, I find it gets very very confusing, you know because it's also it's often said isn't it that rinzai focused on koan and soto didn't uh right. but that isn't true it's clear that what dogen comments on lots of koans uh himself uh, maybe doesn't uh, use the koan in the technical way that they were used or they are used in Rinzai, but he certainly uses them as a basis for exposition quite regularly, doesn't he? He,
1: he does. And, and and I think that when people make that that comment, what they're really thinking of is is the the very structured curriculum of going right. through the Koan in a particular order. Mm. And and that was not real I mean, as far as I understand, that was actually devised by Hakuin, who's quite a bit later
0: yeah so that's quite a late development that systematic study of koan is what you're saying right
1: and and so so the the focus on koan practice is um as as being well really the way the way that the way that study is done is is through working on koan and in rinzai and in um I mean the 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 usual sort of um, claim, which which is an oversimplification, is that is that Soto is largely um, shikantaza. Yeah, mm. and the and the other is 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 based on on koan study. But you're right, you know that there's certainly. Do, I mean, um, Dogen refers a lot to koan
0: yeah and he wants to claim that um Zen as a whole very much emphasized uh sitting meditation that's his sort of narrative right. uh, of what what its unifying practice principle is right. and then so after his little um biographical and lineage story, then he goes on to talk about what happens, i guess when you encounter the genuine Dharma, to put it that way. Um, And what he says there is quite interesting. So this is, um, yeah, I don't know if it's page 16A or paragraph 16, whatever. And he says, in the authentic transmission of our religion, it is said that this Buddha Dharma, which has been authentically and directly transmitted one-to-one is supreme among the supreme. And then he says, after the initial meeting with a good counselor, we never again need to burn incense, to do prostrations, to recite Buddha's name, to practice confession, or to read sutras. Just sit and get the state that is free of body and mind.
1: Yeah, that that really is remarkable. It's a remarkable statement, especially when you think of what goes on in Zen, um, Zen practices
0: they they do all these things that he said are no longer
1: necessary
0: (laughs) yeah yeah that's so it's quite confusing really isn't it um (laughs) it seems to be suggesting that after you've had this meeting i guess the good counselor he must feel is him or or i suppose he's talking autobiographically again about presumably the the chinese teacher that he met right uh, i'm trying to remember his name now um and uh yeah that he no longer needs to do basically all the regular practices right you're pointing out they do do that don't they? Yes, exactly yeah. uh, so it's it's a little bit rhetorical isn't it i think yeah uh, that statement and i suppose perhaps what he is trying to do at least is to stress the the importance of uh of doing sitting practice uh, but it, but we we've read and studied elsewhere that it seems fairly clear that he didn't reject all of those other practices. In fact, one of the whole there's a whole chapter in the Shobo Genzo, uh about how to carry out a ritual sutra reading. Um, mm. You know, when somebody somebody comes to the temple and they ask for a sutra reading, mm-hmm. and they obviously they give a donation for that. And then there's a whole ritual set of instructions as to how then the the monastery will go about that ritual reading. Um, so, yeah, so clearly these other practices are not rejected.
1: Yeah, and, 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 and there's, there's the, um, well, the distinction between the, I guess, not necessarily monks but the the you know the you know what we could call the practitioners of zazen distinction between them and people who are um families who are associated with a zen temple and you know what a zen temple the function that a zen temple has to a family that that belongs to it and usually you, you belong to it because your parents belong to it and so there's a, a kind of a, a long history of being associated with a temple. Whenever, whenever somebody dies, or or there's there's all these um, ceremonies that are done after somebody has has died. You know, anniversaries of their death, and then there are um, other occasions where somebody needs. Um, needs merit (laughs) and so they'll ask you know they'll they'll ask for a sutra reading so all of that becomes sort of the service that a zen monk would do for for the community and a kind of maybe another oversimplification that i've that i've sort of heard about dogen is that for dogen the only real practice is zazen And everything that one does becomes Zazen. So it's not literally just sitting, but doing anything with the right mentality.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, And it seems to fit more with what Zen is, practically speaking, generally like. So I suppose then it's sort of about mindfulness, I guess. But, But particularly, I think the more... Uh, the, the, the section afterwards is what really caught my attention in this chapter, and I underlined it. So I'd like to read that. Okay. So he says, if a human being, even for a single moment, manifests the Buddha's posture in the three forms of conduct, while that person sits up straight in Samadhi, the entire world of Dharma assumes the Buddha's posture, and the whole of space becomes the state of realization right Uh, I really find that quite spectacular as a proposal as a statement so my reading of that and uh, is that well first of all that when somebody meditates basically the whole universe becomes enlightened through their activity Um, uh, but what you're saying is not just in meditation it's actually all uh, all activity Mm-hmm. So it seems to be what, what what is being said is that all activity is enlightenment, I guess, uh, and all activity is enlightening the universe. Yeah. Um, and, and, and especially that's
1: the... the, the, the I, here's another example of what you've often talked about is that there are remarkable parallels between Shinran and Dogon because it seems here that the key thing is doing whatever one is doing with the right mentality. Right. And part right. of what that right mentality is, is an absence of um, instrumental yeah. thinking or, or, yeah. or you know, transactional transactional thinking. So when you're, you're chanting a sutra, you're not necessarily doing it in order to gain merit for yourself you're just chanting the sutra and and it's yeah. doing it with, without any any notion of what, what's in it for you. <laughs> so you
0: yeah um and uh then uh yeah it goes on to say uh well it talks a bit more about that everything becomes the state of liberation um and then he goes on to say these balanced and right states of realization also work the other way, following paths of intimate and mystical cooperation, so that this person who sits in Zazen steadfastly gets free of body and mind, cuts away miscellaneous impure views and thoughts accumulated from the past, and thus experiences and understands the natural and pure Buddha Dharma." Uh, Yeah, it's not quite clear in what is said there, but what I understood them then working the other way was that uh, that actually through other people's practice then we are enlightened through their right. practice so if, if if our practice is enlightening others then it also follows that their practice is enlightening us right, right. We've got this kind of process of you know mutual enlightening let's say yeah. um which is really mystical and quite spectacular
1: yeah yeah and 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 and, um yeah that that passage that you cited is on 16b yeah it goes on into 16c um i was struck by what a little bit later than that he he says those who chant endlessly are like frogs in a spring paddy field (laughs) (laughs) croaking day and night in the end it is all useless um it is still more difficult for people who are deeply disturbed by fame and gain to abandon mm. these things <clears throat> so there seems to be a mentioning immediately this um you know the the loka dharmas you know worrying about about your own reputation and your own um financial situation and, and
0: bit about the frogs sorry Where does the frog? Where do the frogs come in?
1: Um, yeah, that's in seventeen B. It's on page nine of the translation.
0: Um, Um, oh yeah, I found that.
1: So, 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 so the emphasis on fame and gain, sort of coming coming right after what he said about chanting endlessly, makes it sound as if in his mind, chanting endlessly is a. Is a, trend, is a step above being concerned only with your own, well, you know, um, financial well-being, fame and gain, um, but it still falls short of a true practice because there's still, I guess the implication is that there's still some part of the people who are, in his mind, the people who chant endlessly are um, still doing it for some, some gain maybe it's spirit spiritual materialism is to uh, give
0: yeah, well, I, I was wondering about merit you know whether whether right. that was uh uh one of the underlying motives and that's what he's attacking there um yeah um, because I mean merit becomes quite a sort of self-centered uh way of thinking uh, exactly
1: inside. right exactly so 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 that there's a there's a purely materialistic kind of yeah. self-centeredness and then there's you know, the, the uh, self-centered, uh, spiritual self-centeredness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what Trugyam Chungpa called spiritual materialism.
0: Yeah, and it, well, it, and it, it, it further supports your, what you were saying about instrumentalism, so that the, the, the purpose of chanting the scriptures in this vision is to receive a benefit, isn't it? Uh, the right. benefit of merit, uh, perhaps. And uh, that, that, way of thinking about practice is clearly what dogen is attacking um idea that that practice is to do with gaining results from it you know that and and also a relationship between the present and the future so seeing that what you do now you'll benefit in the future um and as you were saying a, a moment ago it's a lot of emphasis really just on doing the practice now without thinking about what you're going to get out of it that you might get from it.
1: And there's also a a clue and sort of before before that passage of the frogs in the in the paddy field on 17a there's a um, there's there's a a paragraph which which I copied out I'll just on 17a this is page eight of the translation where he begins as a general rule when right belief emerges in our mind, we should do training and learn and practice. Otherwise, we should just rest. We should rest for a while. Regret the fact, if you will, but from ancient times, the Dharma has been dry. That's an interesting claim. For Since ancient times, the Dharma has been dry. Further, do you know for yourself any virtue that is gained from such practices as reading sutras and reciting names of Buddhas. Right. It's so very very yeah. unreliable to think that only to wag the tongue and to raise <laughs> the voice has the virtue of the Buddha's work. When we compare such practices with the Buddha Dharma, they fade further and further into the distance. That's a remarkable statement.
0: Yeah, so it's, it seems to me what he's talking about is a kind of me- mechanical kind of practice, isn't it? And right. like thinking that simply by virtue of carrying out the ritual transaction that is to say chanting the sutras uh, that therefore brings about some spiritual benefit you know again a very sort of crude uh, kind of spiritual materialism as you uh, named it right Uh, I I was also uh, seeing in that though uh, particularly in the first part uh, as a general rule, when right belief emerges in our mind, we should do training and learn in practice. So I was thinking about vision and, the vision and transformation um, relationship that Bante talks about. So you start with a vision of the Dharma and then you put that vision into practice. Right. And So what I see in there is Dogen really emphasizing the importance of right view and actually even right um, motive or right attitude as well mm-hmm. in terms of practice. And that without that, basically, it's useless.
1: Right, right, yeah, and, and and that I suppose is is what he what he means by the Dharma being dry, as when it's yeah. yeah when it's just become when it's become mechanical and one isn't putting any real belief in into it, just sort of doing it, um, kind of mindlessly. It's it's interesting because there's 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 uh, there's a kind of virtue in Zen of doing things with no mind, you know, you know um, but that, that usually is, it means without sort of calculating mind or without um, what some people would call transactional transactional uh, attitude in, in, in why you're doing something.
0: Yeah, he says a bit further on, trying to arrive at the Buddhist state of truth, only through action of the mouth stupidly chanting thousands or tens of thousands of times is like hoping to reach the south country of Etsu by pointing a carriage towards the north right sort of stop isn't it yeah
1: yeah I, and i i'm really um i'm really struck by this observation that he makes it, it again reminds me a bit of shinran you know shinran sort of talking about how how really difficult it is to uproot glaciers you know the glaciers are i mean shinran i don't i don't know whether he actually says it quite this explicitly but you get the impression from shinran that as long as we're alive we're going to have these glaciers that's just part of the package of of having been born um but that for him that's not that's not such a such a tragedy because because uh, Amitabha has has selflessly given you know given everyone the um, entry into the Pure Land. But um, there was something that that came up here that was um, oh yeah right, right when he's when he's talking about the um, people who are in the grips of uh, thinking about fame and gain, the Lokadharmas. He then says, the mind that craves gain is very deep. And so it must've been present in the ancient past. How could it not be present in the world today? It's most pitiful. Just remember when a practitioner directly follows a master, now that you've already, already mentioned that, who has attained the truth and clarified the mind. And when the practitioner matches that mind and experiences and understands it, and thus receives the authentic transmission of the subtle dharma of the seven buddhas then the exact teaching appears clearly and is received and maintained this is it's it's, it's interesting this this is a uh, a pattern that you find in so many so many um religious teachers of of, of all traditions really you know it, is that there's there's a part of them that's trying trying to get back to the original purity of the teaching right. and kind of recognizing that over time it's become undermined by people doing it in the wrong way or with the wrong motivations and that and that we've come to a time when well, he said you know he talks about it's most pitiful i mean the times that we're now in that people are so preoccupied with um craving gain that they're, they're so preoccupied with that that, that it's very difficult to find anyone, even a Dharma practitioner, who hasn't been kind of subverted because, of, because of that craving for, for gain, and yet there is still hope. I mm. mean, find, finding that true practitioner, there still are some around, and you just have to find them. It's it, it, it seems to be a, a very common theme in in um, in. Um, especially religious, you know, sort of founders of new traditions within a well-established.
0: Yeah. I suppose it's the kind of reformer's mentality, isn't it? I exactly. Yeah, it the, is. It the reformer is. kind of sees in what he's encountered decay, basically, and uh, imagines uh, a time before when things were, you know, fresher, more authentic. Right. Right. He or she wants to kind of revive that uh, that way of practicing, um, but uh, it's interesting that you're pointing out that he's you know he's he's talking that way in the 13th century, and we might talk just the same way all over again in the 21st century, and and no doubt down the ages, it's just repeated. Um, I suppose that partly shows how difficult it is to maintain uh, a sort of living uh you know living stream of practice i suppose how easily things become uh literal and uh, uh, you know not very creative and uh just going through the motions i guess
1: yeah was there anything in the in the questions and answers that particularly jumped out at you where where does the question and answer part actually begin
0: yeah I, so i was picking up on that actually most of it in the end is a question and answer so on um it begins on page seven actually uh, and the first question is there are many gates to the buddha dharma why do you solely recommend sitting in zazen
1: okay right
0: And then there's a whole series of of questions that that follow um and right. sometimes quite the the answers seem to get yeah.
1: So, so a lot of these these passages that we've been discussing are actually in the question and answer.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: Or okay, right. Um, yeah,
0: and quite a lot of it seems to be about why he's so much emphasizing zazen.
1: Yeah, and it's something else that I that, that I found kind of intriguing, and it's it, it almost an incongruity, is that having made these various claims about frogs croaking in the paddy field, and you know, people just wagging their tongues and all this. Um, he then says, he, he says on um, pages nine and 10 of the translation, sort of the end of page nine and beginning of page 10, I say, remember among Buddhists, we do not argue about superiority and inferiority of philosophies or choose between shallowness and profundity in the Dharma. We need only know whether the practice is genuine or artificial. Some have entered into the stream of the Buddha's truth at the invitation of grass, flowers, mountains, and rivers. Some have received and maintained this stamp of Buddha by grasping soil, stones, sand, and pebbles. Furthermore, the vast and great word is even more abundant than the myriad phenomena and the turning of the great Dharma wheel is contained in every molecule. <laughs> sort of reminiscent of the of the mountains, mountains and flowers.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting because at least there is apparently presenting a non-exclusive kind of non-sectarian uh, vision of how you might come to an understanding of the Dharma right. and yet at the same time, he's very, very clearly uh, emphasizing one very particular approach, which is what he's teaching.
1: Right. It, it, and, it, and it could, it could well be that, that, that in doing that, he, he the, the implicit criticism is of those who make a distinction between superior and inferior forms of Buddhism Mm. and and that his way of doing Buddhism, some other Buddhists have regarded as inferior, but he's saying that there are people, and he would undoubtedly include himself, who have entered in the stream at the invitation of grass, flowers, mountains, and rivers. So so in other words, the the world of nature, well, the entire world, every molecule, (laughs) of the world speaks dharma to him uh and and that and that one should never regard those people whose approach is through nature as having an inferior philosophy or a shallow practice
0: Mm. yeah i i wonder whether something that he's getting at is being a bit well being a bit of a analytic or and complicating things too much so for instance below he says when we solely sit in zazen on the other hand relying now on exactly the same posture as the buddha and letting go of the myriad things then we go beyond the areas of delusion realization emotion and consideration and we are not concerned with the ways of the common and the sacred so it feels like you're sort of going beyond a lot of the mental proliferation i guess that we might engage in about whether something's sacred whether it's not um and so on and sort of trying to cut through um what maybe shinran would call hakari you know just our tendency to just think that we can get there and working it all out in our heads and all of that kind um, right. it seems like what he's trying to do is to sort of cut through that a little bit and uh, yeah, stop all of that constant evaluation, I guess, that we're often engaged in about is this working? Is this gonna work? Is this worth doing? Isn't this worth doing? Like right. that kind of mentality. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it goes on to say, that once we are roaming outside the intellectual frame, receiving and using the great state of Bodhi how could those caught in the trap of words compare with this?
1: Mm-hmm. Right. So the world of ten thousand things—the the, uh, or, the, the, or, the, the, or myriad, I guess—is in this translation. But the the, the uh, ten thousand things is is sort of the Chinese expression for the world. I mean, the entire right. in, world of life. And this seems to to. Uh, to be very similar, sort of maybe the inspiration for Okamura's kind of talking about just living life. I mean, if you just live life, um, that is in itself a kind of Dharma practice. You don't have to think of anything special outside of just living life, but there's always the proviso that you have to do it with the right kind of mentality um maybe a, a non-striving a non-striving mentality or a non-self-serving mentality this was written in 1231 okay it says yeah, in the in the colophon says that it says yeah. it was written mid-autumn day in the third year of Kanki. that is the 15th day of of the eighth lunar month of 1231. so where, where does that where does that place it chronologically in the other writings in the shobo genzo it's it's it's, it's, an early it's like
0: one of the first i suspect that it is one of the first if not the first yeah. i was just picking up um genjo kohan and that was written i think in 1233 whats mm-hmm. yeah so that was a couple of years after um and the yeah the following chapter is 1233 as well so i suspect that it's one of the first
1: right right so yeah he's 31 years old or so when he wrote this pretty impressive
0: <laughs> it really is yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I,
1: I, on page 18 bc he, he says um which would be page 12 of the translation he says the thought that practice and experience are not one thing is just the idea of the, of non-Buddhas so I, I guess this this is this is um, criticizing the notion that practice is an instrument that leads to experience, or that the path is something that leads to a goal. Mm. Uh, and 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 this seems I mean that maybe reading too much into it, but the the path itself the practice itself is the path. And there's no distinction between the path and the goal, that when you're doing the practice, you actually are reaching the goal just by doing the, in doing the practice. There's no distinction between these. Um, practice now is also practice in the state of experience. Therefore, a beginner's pursuit of the truth is just the whole body of the original state of experience. That's why the Buddhist patriarchs teach in... in in the practical practical precautions they have handed down to us, not to expect any experience outside of practice. And the reason may be that practice itself is the directly accessible original state of experience because practice is just experience. The experience is endless. And because experience is practice, the practice itself has no beginning
0: yeah it's, it's it's really quite um yeah it, it gives a very kind of vivid sense of this really intense focus on just doing it without uh thinking about where it's taking you um, um so not thinking in terms of time for instance not thinking i do this now and this will happen in the future uh right. but just place, placing a a supreme value in just engaging consciously with the practice right now. Um, yeah, I like that.
1: Yeah, it reminds me one in the Zen community, the, the, one of the, <clears throat> one of the sort of senior teachers in that community um, loved to quote the, you know, the, uh, the advertising slogan of Nike, um, sports, sports gear which is just do it
0: <laughs>
1: and she, she would often you know you know when people were you know sometimes people would ask questions like what's the purpose of doing 108 prostrations every day or what's the purpose of you know chanting uh amitabha uh, uh, namo amita buddha you know for an hour and a half you know why do we do that and she would say, "Just do it." <laughs>
0: just, just do it. Yeah, yeah. A little bit later on, he says, um, "Practice and experience are never two stages." Um, so That's quite a strong statement,
1: right? I wonder what I wonder what he means by by experience. I mean, what what kind of thing is he actually thinking of? There is that sort of the experience of attainment?
0: Well, I think that's probably what I was thinking of. Yeah, some kind of fruit that you have as a consequence of having practiced. Right. There's a a little quote from some master below and it says, someone who sees the way practices the way. So it seems to be basically that the emphasis is on um, bringing together well, we're bringing together practice and realization. So rather than thinking that practice leads to realization or that realization makes practice redundant, practice and realization are, are, the, are, to, are together, always together. Right. Yeah. Cause then he says, remember that even in the state of attainment of the truth, we should practice. So he's kind of very alive to someone who might come along and say, okay so if you know if we're already in touch with the nature of things we don't need to do any practice then right but he he, he emphasizes that we we definitely should we have to
1: yeah the, it, it sort of you know the phrase that, that often comes up in the Pali canon is when somebody has become an arhant or something is done is done right. is what had to be done yeah, that seems true. This notion, okay, having attained that, there's no longer any need to uh, do anything further. Or, or for him, I mean, he says it quite explicitly practice is both beginningless and endless.